Hi, welcome to Leadership with Randy. I'm Randy Powell. Today you're listening to Lessons on Leadership, our weekly conversation with inspiring people sharing some of the stories and lessons from their journey. Failure was not an option. When I was with Delta, no was not a word, or I can't was not a word. You take care of those widows, you take care of those families, you do whatever you got to do. And uh, and that's kind of been a theme throughout most of my life is uh, no's not an option. Now, yes, there are times we can't do certain things, but it's not the default word. You just go forward and you uh, you make it happen because the only easy day was yesterday. Today, we're discussing a life of service with Mike Thompson, a former Navy SEAL, police officer, entrepreneur, oil field welder, and even a hospital chaplain who rolled all those experiences up and returned back to the Army to serve for another 18 years as a chaplain for the Special Operations Forces, which included multiple deployments to Iraq. Let's get back to our great conversation with Mike. Good morning, everyone. Great to be together again. Excited to spend time with with Mike Thompson, who I met back in the fall and was just amazed by uh, a life of service. You know, somebody that you you just can't stop (laughs) serving others. It seems like it's been a commitment uh, for uh, from the beginning. And, And you've done so many interesting things and spent so much of your career both serving your country and serving others, I just know there are a ton of lessons that you've got to share with us that are relevant today. I want to go back to the beginning. You were you were a SEAL before SEALs were cool. It seems like everybody knows about the <laughs> SEALs these days because of uh, the Dan, Dan Crenshaws and Jocko Willinks and Leif Babbins, but you, were, uh, you, you preceded all those guys and went into the SEALs. So let's talk about your... Uh, uh, early journey, what inspired you to go into the Navy and then took you to the SEALs? And what was that like? What did you learn uh, back then in SEAL Team 2? Okay. Uh, to date myself, uh, I go back to Class 84. So that's that's important when you talk to SEAL Team guys is you, you find out what Bud's class they were in. And there were still UDT teams at that time. And I don't know if anybody saw two weeks ago, Richard Marcinko died. Uh, well, he was my first commander at SEAL Team 2. So that kind of dates myself. Uh, but uh, how it got started was uh, my dad worked for Santa Fe Railroad. I was born out of Oklahoma, but uh, he moved and was transferred to Galveston, Texas. We lived a block off the beach. And for young boys, you couldn't have it any better. And uh, so I grew up in the water. And uh, I don't know if anybody is old enough. I'm looking here. I don't think they are. Uh, But you remember Mike Nelson and Sea Hunt um, was on TV. And so that's what I watched. And also the news when they did the space shots and the capsules would land in the water. And then those were the UDT team guys that would uh, jump in. And well, that's how it started for me. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a frogman. And so that was, and I always, like the Navy. Uh, my dad was Coast Guard. And so there was an influence there from several uh, of his uh, siblings and, you know, that uh, got me started with the Navy. And uh, so that's how it began. 
And so I'd always wanted to go SEAL team or UDT team, wanted to be a frogman. What, what was that like back in the, you know, it, it, it's pretty well chronicled today about how difficult BUDS is, but what was that experience like for you? And what did you learn that you carried with you for the, for the rest of your life from just that resilience and grit and perseverance of that process? Well, there were two things that uh, um, were really monumental for me. One is that uh, I don't know if anybody has heard about the bell, the bell they have at Bud's training. And uh, it's a bell that's on a wall on the, they call it the grinder. It's just an asphalt, like a big parking lot. And that's where we did our physical training. And uh, behind us, was the wall of this building and it had the bell, a brass bell on it. And uh, there was a sign under it, it said volunteer in, volunteer out. So if you wanted to leave, you go up and ring the bell. Well, one of the things that I had done was, uh, uh, first of all, one of the things that I did at the time, but I realized it became one of my characteristics for leadership was uh, commitment. If you, when you go into something, you commit to it. And that's what I did. I committed to making it through buds. Now, that didn't guarantee that I made it through buds, but I determined in my mind that uh, I would not ring the bell. That was not an option for me. Uh, death on the beach from running or they, they running me off because I wasn't uh, hit meeting the standards. Those are the only other two options. And, uh, and when we ran down the beach, I'd look out into the uh, uh, off San Diego and I'd see the ships and uh, that kept me running. I, wa I did not want to go back to the fleet and uh, I wanted to be a frogman. The other thing, the second thing that uh, made a difference, we had this motto that everybody kind of we made fun of or was it was fun, but it became part of who I was. I, I came to, to live by it. And we had, and that was the only easy day is yesterday. The only easy day was yesterday. And uh, what that came to mean for us was, okay, you passed the run yesterday, but today's a new run. In other words, even in life, there are new things. Each day is, is a new day. And you, it's, it kind of fits with the old saying about you can't rest on your laurels. Um, Yesterday was yesterday's. What you did, that's over. You face new challenges. You face new things in life. Uh, in training, we faced a new run, a different uh, uh, running the obstacle course or something like that. So you had to concentrate on that today. You can't look back. So those were two main things that uh, were pretty monumental for me coming through BUDS training. BUDS is basic underwater demolition slash SEAL training. So I'll just call it SEAL training. Are there any um, events? I know there was an event I saw on your Facebook page. Someone had left a message about a boat wreck where you had to jump into the water into the middle of the night and, and save some guys. Maybe talk about that story and what you're thinking about in that time of where, where you don't worry about your own safety, you're worried about other folks. Well, and I appreciate you mentioning that because for me, that was a, a, a moving 
time, a moving moment for me. And the 45th anniversary of that was the 17th of this month. 1977, January 17th of 1977, there was a boat accident in Barcelona, Spain. Uh, there were 49 Navy Marine Corps personnel that were killed. They were on a Liberty launch that was coming out of Barcelona Harbor and uh, the boat coxswain swung wide out into the channel and they were run over by a Spanish freighter. Now with ships like that, it, it's not a, an impact as much as the water in front of the bow of the larger ship rolls up and swells. And so it rolled the boat and threw everybody out. It was one of those boats that you see uh, in Normandy on D-Day with the open top and the front ramp drops down. It was that type of a boat. And uh, so it dumped everybody out. And of course, um, being Navy, they were probably all had been drinking quite a bit. And uh, so that didn't help things any, but it was late at night. It was a Liberty launch and everybody was coming back to the ship, which was anchored out in the Harbor. Um, we were on board our detachment. Uh, we were the first time that the SEAL teams rode on the ships. Usually they flew everywhere, but this was after Vietnam and, and uh, we were fighting for our existence. So we said, well, we can do what the UDT teams are doing. And there was a UDT team on one, another ship. Uh, they were in a different port. Um, they woke us all up. We went in for the rescue operation. They determined that there were still people under the, um, under the boat. It was capsized and it was floating upside down. And there were still six people inside and then nine were inside that were, had died. And so uh, as we went in, there were three of us went into the water. I went under the boat and went into the, uh, 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 under the boat, excuse me, just a second. I'm sorry. Um, I thought I cleaned up, sterilized the room, <laughs> uh, but, uh, uh, went under the boat and we pulled uh, the, 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 the six out. Uh, one guy stayed underwater. I went up underneath. They were all in shock. And uh, so I just had to, you know, you, I violated all sorts of diving rules, you know, like taking my mask off, taking your, your air and putting it over your shoulder and, and getting around people like that because nobody could understand what you were trying to tell them. They were in shock. They'd been in the water for several hours and it was cold. And so I just had to kind of get, they all had these grips on this railing. And so I had to get the, the hands off the railing and then I just swam backwards and then dunked them. You, you can't rationalize with them or tell them, hold your breath, you just dunk them. And the guy that uh, was below the surface grabbed him, took him up to a guy that was uh, without tanks and then did a swimmer's carry and took him in. Then we cleared out those who had died. And um, so to this day, I still see one of them very clearly, his face. And so that uh, 17th was the 45th anniversary of that. And that's not one we hear about very often. No, uh, but I assume in that moment there, you don't really, you've prepared yourself in advance. You're going to do whatever it takes. You're not really spending time thinking about 
your own safety in that situation. You were just, you were already pre-committed. Well, yes. And it goes back to something I forgot to mention about Bud's training that became a six months long. And so what they did is you just, you, it, it, things became natural. Go get in the water. You stay wet. You, you're cold. You're well that night. It was a uh, uh, muscle memory. You just, you, you just do what you've got to do. And that was the purpose of Bud's training or SEAL team training. When you get into situations like that, then uh, you operate out of muscle memory and you, you don't think about it. Now you're cautious. You look at it. It's not that you, you are uh, uh, blind to any type of safety or anything. It's not that it's just that you, you do what you have to do and um, make it happen. I want to come back to that in a little bit, but right now, let's, uh, if you've got questions, type them in the chat. Let's go to Drew. Hey, Mike, um, you know, I, I didn't put dates to your time until you brought the dates up yourself, but I'm curious, um, you know, with the, with the failed uh, rescue attempt um, for the hostages in Iran back in 80, um, there was a significant shift, and I say shift because um, our military really culturally has gotten so good at um, being humble to the fact that we can always get better. Um, did you sense any of that? I don't even know. I mean, it's a, it's a fascinating question, which is, did, did they bring this up in your training uh, as, a, as a SEAL um, on how to get better and the lessons learned, or was it something that was just inherent um, that had already been done by 1982 when you started? If I understand your question right, uh, it, it, it's, something, it's, it's like what I described about the boat accidents. You know, we always did lessons learned. And, you know, with the Army, we always, you know, you get through at Fort Polk or wherever. You know, you sit down and you do your lessons learned. We did that. And so what that does is if you do it enough, you start doing it on your own. You know, I fix the lawnmower and I think, okay, how could I have done that better? It, it becomes part of who you are. And uh, that's a lot of the, uh, you know, as you know, behind military training is to, it, 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 you start getting to think that way. So I don't know if that answered your question, but I still do that. Yeah. Well, I, I'm curious as to if you all, if, if there was ever discussions or even parts of your training that talked about that failed mission and lessons learned from it um, as, as, uh, as part of your training uh, and growth as a Navy SEAL? Uh, I apologize. I still might not be understanding your question. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I just know about Iraq, around about the uh, Iranian hostage crisis. I think he's uh, referring to and the failed mission in Iran and, yeah, dealing with the world of terrorism at that time. Oh, I thought you were talking about uh, here coming out of Afghanistan. No, I, no, I'm sorry. No, the Iran. Yeah, I'm sorry. The 1980 rescue of the uh, okay that obviously uh, failed, and we had eight service members from our national level yeah um, forces uh, that were killed. Um, that restructured all the training of our 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 special operators. Uh, well, it's, seals, seals were a part of that. I was just yeah. curious if there was any, uh, if there was any specific pieces that you all were told this has been added because of our failed 
attempts in 1980? Not from the Navy standpoint. I had gotten out by then, but uh, more from when I went to the Army. See, you're, it did structure training. It, it restructured training, and it restructured the, the organizations uh, and how the organizations were uh, – uh, well, a lot of them were, were born out of that. And uh, uh, some of your special operation units were born out of that. Um, so, uh, yes, there was always, you do things differently. And um, I, that was a mile marker right there. Desert One. And uh, I've got a picture, and uh, it talks about the guts to try. And uh, and there's things I'm not saying because I, I was with Delta, and I can say that now. See, it's more from that angle that I learned more about what went on in Iran. And, uh, yes, there definitely was a, a change in tr training, mindset, and organization. Every one of them. So you uh, you left the SEALs. What what brought that about, leaving the SEAL teams? Well, that is a hard story to uh, to understand or help people to understand. But it was, uh, a, a, I believe, as I look back, I grew up in a church home. I grew up with uh, my faith. And um, I joined the Navy to retire from the Navy. But uh, at that time, when it came four years uh I just felt led to get out of the Navy. Now, I was not living for the Lord at that time. I was living like a sailor. And, uh, uh, but uh, I didn't understand why I felt like I needed to get out of the Navy. And it was just, that's the best I can explain it. I needed to get out. Well, I look back after coming into ministry, and I'll mention that here in a little bit. Uh, I believe that God did not give me a piece about the things that I was doing. He was waiting for me. I was to go back into a different way of serving people. And uh, it had more to do with my faith and coming back and serving God. Because like I said, my parents, uh, um, you know, we went to church. That's where my faith started. And my dad, they lived their faith. Uh, I saw that uh, uh, from my mom and my dad. And on my uh, website or on the Facebook, there's a video of, I'm at the cemetery and I'm kind of giving tribute and honor to my parents because they raised me with those characteristics of uh, relating to people. Um, so why I got out of the Navy, I can say now I believe God didn't give me a piece about it. I joined the Navy to retire from the Navy. But then I get out of the Navy and I go to a police department. <laughs> so uh, it, it still is a continuous journey. So, but I regret at times that uh, I would like to have stayed in. And I was offered a job with, uh, at uh, Bud's training in the diving phase. And because uh, we had tested a diving rig. So I was familiar with that. I was one of the first ones to dive it. And so I did hate to leave. But uh, something told me I had to. I look back now, it was the Lord. So, so you left there, you went 
you were a policeman, you were a chaplain, and then you went back to the army. I did. I, uh, I went, I, I came back to Kansas city area and we had said we'd never come back to Kansas city. And, uh, so never say never, there's a life lesson. <laughs> uh, and, uh, I saw a friend of mine that I went to school with and he said, well, what are you going to do now? And I said, Oh, I don't know. I'm looking for a job. He said, why don't you be a police officer? I said, okay. He said, there's an opening at Lenexa. And that's kind of how it went. And, uh, so I went and applied and was, uh, uh, accepted for at Lenexa Police Department and served there for several years. But then, like I was talking about how I was living, I, I'm a prodigal son story. I came back to my faith. But during that time, my wife and I divorced and uh, we were divorced for a year. And we had a, a little girl and then we remarried after a year. And I said, I need to get out of here. We need to start over. And so we went to Oklahoma, where I was born, in the town that I never really lived in. And that's where I kind of got started again, started going back to church, started living my faith. And uh, I was a contract welder in the oil fields. Now, let me say right off, uh, you know, right up front here is, you know, I'm not proud of going from one thing to another. But it has given me a life experience that uh, as a chaplain, I ministered out of. But the funny thing about it, what I wanted to mention was my mother, you know, everything's a matter of perspective. My mother says, when are you going to settle down and pick something you want, you know, that you're going to work at? When are you going to grow up? I said, well, I hope never. And, <laughs> and I'll, I'm having fun. So, but uh, each of those things contribute to who you are you know everything in life that you do i believe adds to who you are and everything's connected and uh, so i was a police officer and then we remarried and went to oklahoma and uh that was uh that was a new transition that was kind of a new start and uh on the police department same thing happened i just felt like uh the lord was saying this is not where i want you and so we kept moving and uh, ended up in Oklahoma. And then uh, how did uh, all that steer into becoming a chaplain? Well, I started, uh, I bought 40 acres. I was going to be a cowboy, get a bunch of cows. And, you know, I'd always wanted to live out in the country. And I liked Falls Valley. We'd go visit our grandparents. And that was my big plan for life. And, uh, but in the meantime, I had to have a job. So I started, uh, I was a contract welder in the oil fields. I bought a truck and, and uh, I had learned to weld when I was in the Navy back before I went to SEAL team training and um, started uh, contract welding. And oil fields were booming then. If you remember back about 1979 and 80, uh, it was just really uh, busted wide open. And uh, then the oil field shut down overnight. And that's when I went in town and opened up a welding shop. Now, during that same time, I started going back to church. And I, I, it's interesting how that happened. I first got there and I lived with my grandparents, but they went to church and I didn't have the heart to say, no, I'm not going with you. <laughs> and so I went with them. And that's how I kind of got started back with realizing that I had gotten away from the Lord. And then it was uh, just kind of, I'm trying to kind of shorten this a little bit because there's a lot. 
uh, I was asked to be a Sunday school teacher and I said yes. And uh, I, I really liked teaching and, and relating. A test of your faith was, would you teach seventh and eighth grade boys? Well, that'll test your faith. And, and uh, so that's kind of how it started. And I started working with the youth and I uh, had the 40 acres. We were going to live and die there and that was going to be it. But then I felt a call to ministry. And by that time, I had a welding shop going and uh, loved welding. Um, something in, that, that I applied to life that I learned out of the welding shop was the fact that, you know, welding, I, I was pretty good at welding, but the more I learned, the more I realized I didn't know. <laughs> and there's sometimes in life, you know, the more we learn about life and the more we learn, then we see how much more we don't know. There's so much more out there. And so it's always every day is a learning experience. The only easy day was yesterday. See how that all that fits together. And so um, that's how I um, end up coming into ministry. And then it, further escalated or developed into ministry back in the military. And uh, I mentioned that to my wife. And uh, of course, she, she uh, was not in favor of that and said, the Lord will have to change her mind. And so from the time I felt called to the time I went back on active duty was nine years. Now, in, in those nine years, I went to seminary. I ended up working in four different hospitals. I never really looked at wanting to be in a hospital from a ministry standpoint, but I look back and see how much that uh, had prepared me for the future. And I'll mention about specifically what that was, but uh, um, uh, that's how I ended up back in the military as a chaplain. I went back on active duty. I was a staff chaplain at Norfolk General Hospital, and my supervisor really had good insight. She said, you need to um, put your application in for active duty. And uh, she, she said, it's, it's not that you're trying to get away from something, but it's that you're going to something. You're being called to something. And that's the way it's always been. Uh, I, I was going towards things all my life. That's kind of the way it's been. And in the meantime, I look back now, in the meantime, you know, it, all of that going to was serving people. And that was what uh, really made the difference uh, for me. But I went back on active duty. I was accepted. And I went back on active duty when I was 42. So um, depend on, you know, if you kind of, Imagine where you are now, age-wise, if you're around 42. I went back on 42 uh, and went to 82nd Airborne, started jumping out of airplanes. That was in 92. Hadn't done that since 77 with the Navy. And uh, so that's how I ended up back with, uh, with the Army and then did 18 and a half years with the Army. I continued to jump, uh, went from the 82nd Airborne to 7th Special Forces Group, uh, that was a little easier jumping with them. They had helicopters, not the C-141s or, you know, the high-speed aircraft where it jerks a knot in your neck when you go out. Um, but uh, uh, enjoyed that. And then just different units in the military that I was a command chaplain for. Very rewarding ministry. Uh, 
people in the military are there. Well, I learned a lot in the hospital setting and I took that with me also to the military. And so, you know, when I came into ministry, I used all of Moses's uh, excuses for not coming into ministry. And one of them was, well, look at my past life. And God said, you will minister out of your past. And so that was a way of redeeming the past. You know, it wasn't just water under the bridge. So another kind of a lesson in life for me was I always looked at the here and now situations and I could relate to things in my past. Well, this happened then, or I depended on the Lord then at that time, or I, you know, this is what we did during that time. So I use that today for myself also, but also it helped me relate to people. So from, uh, 90% of what I did in the military was counseling and 90% of my counseling was marriage. So if you think back to the things I said, you know, I do ramble a lot, but all that had meaning. It, it, it built up to this point of, you know, now I'm counseling people. Oh, where did that hospital time come in? And what was the purpose of that? And I'm going, you know, that was, you talk about a sidetrack. But I ended up with uh, Delta Force uh, in 04 to 08. I left uh, Drew. I left, uh, 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 I was with CGSC for the year uh, at Leavenworth and then went to, back to Fort Bragg and went to Delta Force. And then we were going in and out of, I was 58 years old then and going in and out of Iraq. I made 13 trips in and out of Iraq. And with the unit that I was with, they were short rotations. Um, uh, during 05 was one of our worst years. We lost 10 soldiers. And in a small unit like that, that was worse than uh, battles in the past. Uh, especially um, Desert One. Um, that's when we started engaging in those lessons learned from Desert One. Um, we did do things different. Jointly, you worked differently with the, with the other services. And uh, you learned to work with people from other agencies and other, other walks of life. And um, so I was the solo chaplain with the unit and uh, we had 10 deaths and eight of them were married. And so, um, I came back from overseas each time to a new widow. And uh, so you see how the hospital, my, my specialty in the hospital setting was uh, grief. And um, that was what I, and that was one that I never would have picked. <laughs> one area that I never would have chosen to go into. But that's how the Lord kind of led and directed me. No, you're not going to stay in SEAL Team. You're coming this direction. And uh, so I see how it paid off. I see how, you know, when the Lord, and I didn't hear an audible voice from the Lord saying, you will minister out of your past. It was one of those things you just know. You, you come to understand. And uh, those were the times then that uh, whether it was the boat accident in Barcelona or, um, uh, in Iraq, uh, 
with those. One night we lost three at the same time. And, you know, it's just, you jump in the water. You don't stand around and wonder how cold it is or how you, you jump in and get after it. And, uh, you know, I hear people nowadays with, um, uh, and, and I'm sounding like an old guy now, you know, you hear old guys say, well, when I was young, you know, we walked uphill both ways to school. Well, it seems like, uh, uh, you know, today it's not the commitment is missing. Um, the, you know, you, failure was not an option. When I was with Delta, it, it, no was not a word or I can't was not a word. You take care of those widows. You take care of those families. You do whatever you got to do. And, uh, and that's kind of been a theme throughout most of my life is, uh, no, it's not an option. Now, yes, there are times we can't do certain things, but it's not the default word. You just go forward and you, uh, you make it happen because the only easy day was yesterday. I'm sorry. I can get rambling, uh, <laughs> Randy. So you have to, give me the high sign or something but no it's a, it's a, it's good lessons there but you know thinking about that time in Iraq particularly you know you're dealing with a lot of trauma dealing with a lot of grief and a lot of people that are very type A and aren't you know probably aren't oriented towards being vulnerable and talking about trauma and grief so how do you help coach people through those tough times and think about how that applies to today and how we deal with people with trauma and grief. Sure. First of all, you have to build trust. You know, I, it, I learned early on in the hospital setting, you know, I'd be naive to think that I could just walk into a room or a relationship with a person and think that they're going to, to talk to me about the deep things in their life that are going on. <coughs> Excuse me what you have to do is build relationships and that applies to anybody. Um, you know, think back over a, a close friend that you have and, and how did, you know, and a close friend divulges something that's deep and meaningful to you. How'd that happen? Well, it's because you built the relationship with them and they had, you earned their trust. And so I had to build bridges and I, that's what I called it is, uh, uh, relationship bridge building. Now the units being with SEAL team and being in some of the other previous units helped me. People said, well, that must've made it easy for you. Well, no, it just, it shortened the bridge building time, but you would go in. And, and so what I had to do is uh, you listen to see what's going on with people. You let them tell you, you open it's, it's more listening than telling and uh you let them share with you what's going on in their life and once you've built that relationship then they will share now one of the unique things about being a chaplain is we go different places now you can as a chaplain you can you you can pitch a tent and stay in one unit but uh, that's not advisable what you want to do is go to multiple types of units and you learn the different people. I was in a transportation unit, a special operations unit, a, you know, and uh, 
uh, infantry type units with first infantry, you know, in every one of them, there's some unique situations, but also something I learned in training for the hospital. And it was a project that I did. And that is common elements in ministry. There are certain things that are the same, no matter what, no matter what environment you're in or what situation. So you start learning about those types of things, but it still always was built on relationships and building the bridge and getting and getting people to trust you. Now, here's the important thing is that who crosses the bridge and when? Well, it's their bridge and they tell you when to cross or they will, in their mind, say it's time to cross and come into my office. So they determine when you cross the bridge. The other thing is in Delta, and I've got to be careful what I say. I can't say a whole lot, but I am allowed to talk just a little bit. They were older people, and I think that's a well-known fact. When you have older soldiers, there is more of a maturity level there. And that's not a negative against the younger soldiers, by all means. But uh, when you're dealing with, uh, think back when you kind of passed through the early 30s. Somewhere, I have a belief that uh, from about 28 to 35, you start doing a lot of changing in life. You look at things different. And uh, from a faith standpoint, uh, you struggle with your faith. There's a struggling there that uh, is a good, healthy struggle. And that happens about that time. Well, a lot of those guys were older. And so it was a whole lot easier once you built their trust. And I spent a long time building trust and you had to have patience. Then they would, they would, uh, they would talk to you. And so that was uh, kind of how I did that. But that also applied in 82nd or in the transportation unit. Um, you built that trust and then they came across the bridge. You know, I hear a lot of what you describing sound like empathy, not telling everybody about how tough you had it, but just listening to them and using your experiences to relate to them. That's exactly what it is. It's all about them. And you have toolbox that you use to work out of. Absolutely. And that has to be it. Yeah. Let's go over to uh, Kurt. Hey, uh, thanks for uh, getting Mike with us today, Randy. I appreciate that. And Mike, again, thank you for your service to the country, those folks, and even to the Lord. So uh, I, I like the way you've brought that together. So along that empathetic theme and listening to others and trying to understand um, how do we apply some of your vast experience and some of those lessons that we can all apply, but how do we apply it in, you know, as we're sitting in our basements and in the division that's going on in society today? I mean, what's the right path to take without um, being part of that divisiveness? Because, hell, I got the right answer. <laughs> well, maybe not, right? So I could tell y'all what the right answer is about the vaccine or whatever, but that that's not the right approach, right? Um, so I say that with a crack of irony, but how do we apply it with what's going on in, in society today? 
And specifically, what do you mean about how we apply our, our life? Uh, yeah, I mean, how, uh, we listen. We are, I mean, we ought to, I mean, it's pretty, should be common knowledge that we ought to listen more, be more empathetic, yeah. know that we shouldn't or aren't the smartest dude in the room. But society is becoming more and more divided. I mean, I think there's an element yeah. of um, poor faith in society. Um, uh, you, the, uh, you know, lack of family values. I mean, I could go on and on. And I think sure. I don't know what to do to help bring society together and to do, to love and to serve others. But that's just my take. That's my sure. That, that, that's that that's this much, right? So I want to know. I mean, we all see faults in society right now. How do we not continue that divisiveness by preaching what we think is the right solution or answer? So my question is, what's your take on what's going on right now in society, and how, as individuals, can we help make it better rather than worse? Well. I think the best way to answer that is we live our faith. We live our characteristics. If, you know, I, I don't want to make the assumption that everybody here on the air is a person of faith. I want to give you that leeway. But, you know, I personally believe that it starts, you know, as a person of faith. You, you, you have to have a faith. The other thing is you have to live that. And as you were talking, Kurt, you know, I, th I thought about my dad. He lived his faith. He lived his life. He lived his characteristics, what, what, what they were. He lived those. So I, I think you said part of it is, and, and this is hard, and it's not to get caught up in it, but to live our faith the way we know we should. And know that there is a different tomorrow. There's going to be, you know, that's the hope. You know, when scripture talks about hope, that hope is not a verb. Well, I hope I win the lottery. You know, that's, that's not the hope it's talking about. It, that hope in scripture is a noun. There's something better. There'll be a new tomorrow. And so living our faith and and i tell you we sometimes it's hard and sometimes it's frustrating and sometimes we want to throw up our hands i i, I hit that point you know about every other day but then no the only easy day was yesterday and so what what i do is and i think what we should do is we just continue to press forward the other thing is that uh it was something in counseling that uh uh, that's very important, and that is trust the process. You know, as a person of faith, you trust that process of faith and how God is going to sort this out. Because right now, you know, Scripture says there is trouble. In the world, you will have trouble and tribulation. And it's easy to get caught up in it. We are human. But uh, living our faith, living our relationships, you know, uh, caring for a person, I believe, does more than preaching to them. Uh, you know, when my dad put his arm around me, it meant more than when he says, what are you doing? Get out of there, you know, and quit doing that. And where's the belt? You know, uh, 
that always took me further and helped me to learn more when he did that. Um, no, that, that's, that's helpful. I, I get what you're saying. And I think through my faith and how you, how to apply that in the workplace and, and how to, how to love and assist and serve others. That's a big deal. So, well, it's not, and, and it's not easy. I don't want to make it sound like it's easy. And, and there's one more thing that I, I wanted to mention is you can't do it alone. Uh, you know, I, I believe that, you know, SEAL team was called a team for a reason. And when we went through SEAL team training, we went through together and we ran on, on the beach together. And, you know, Will Rogers said, we're all ignorant just in different subjects. Well, we all have capabilities and, you know, some guys ran well, I, you know, I was a bigger person. I ran like a tractor and uh, I was so slow. I had to speed up to stop. And, uh, uh, but you know, there were the, the guys that could run, they were good runners and, but they'd come alongside of me and say, come on, Mike, we can do this. If we keep running and you just put your head down and you lean forward and you run. And that's how life is. You can't do it by yourself. I believe, from my faith, you must have the Lord with you, and you walk with the Lord. The Holy Spirit walks, and part of that, uh, 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 the definition of Holy Spirit or the word, uh, it, it means coming alongside of. And uh, we wore a rope on our belt that we used to tie knots, and you practice tying knots because you tie knots in the debt cord that you use, and so you had to learn to tie knots. Well. Uh, One guy came alongside me. We were on a 14-mile run, and he, he came along, and he reached up and grabbed my, my rope and started running alongside of me. And that's what the Lord does is comes alongside of you and runs with you. And so de being dependent upon that is also, I think, very important. And that has to be – and what that is is recharging your own batteries, you know, going to the Lord every day and, and living that faith and that, uh, you know, and because we can't continue in difficult situations. I always say, sometimes you got to turn the TV off and uh, you can't do it alone. You know, Kurt's question got me thinking. There's got to have been times, probably lots of times, serving as a chaplain that somebody's coming to you and they got a problem and your inclination is to say, well, you were stupid. You got what you deserved, <laughs> but you know, getting to that divisiveness that we're in today, but that wasn't your orientation towards helping others. I'm assuming that that wouldn't have been the best strategy would have been to say, Hey, that was stupid. You got what you deserved. So it, maybe that goes back to that muscle memory of you're always oriented towards helping others rather than being right. Well, yes, and I will confess that there were those moments, but it gets back to uh, what are you about? And my focus was the relationship. And, you know, the other thing is, is the Lord had mercy on me. Why do I think or what I think 
that I should be judgmental against somebody else. And that really helped me to accept the person for who they are, who they were, uh, you know, and, and the situation that they did. You know, it's kind of like uh, whoever doesn't have sin in life can throw the first rock. You know, you've heard that scripture. Yeah. Uh, if you've not, if, if you're perfect, then you can be the first one to throw the rock. Well, nobody threw a rock. And uh, Jesus asked the lady, you know, where are your accusers? Well, I applied that in my life. There are, Yes, I would get frustrated with people and go, what did you think was going to happen when you did that? But I didn't do that and just realized that the Lord was probably has said that to me a couple of times. What did you think was going to happen? So you relate to people the way you want to be related to and the way people has related to you. Because I've had people come up alongside and help me in life. But you love them for who they are. So what, what took you out of the uh, army then after that long uh, career? Age. <laughs> okay. <laughs> age. I, I retired at age 60. I went on with the army at 42. I went in the Navy when I was 22, got out in 77. So see, from 77 to 93, I was civilian and then went back on active duty, 82nd of all, uh, and started running again. And, and remember, I said I wasn't a good runner. And, uh, but, we, but at Fort Bragg, there wasn't sand that we had to run in. It was, uh, you still ran and got to run in tennis shoes, but uh, it was a little different. But you know, the Lord's hand was in that. And I don't know that I could have done that on my own. You know, there's some things in life we can't do on our own, but it has to be. You know, somebody coming alongside of you or your faith that comes alongside of you. The Lord comes alongside of you. You know, you just can't do it alone. And uh, so I went from 42 to 60 and I retired in uh, uh, 2010, uh, 2011, September 2011. So if you're doing the math, I'm 70 years old. <laughs> and uh, so age got me. Or else I'd still be there flying in, in the helicopters. <laughs> you know, you hit on that teamwork aspect, and, and I've heard Jocko talk about that in relation to buds, too, that some guys are good runners, some guys are strong, some guys are tall, and some guys are short. In fact, he talks about those log drills and how everybody can't hold the log the same. Talk about just building a team of people that aren't like you. Yeah. Uh, the best analogy I could speak of is we in, in, in SEAL team training, we had boat crews, what you had, what we called them the boat crews and everybody was signed to a boat crew. And it was the rubber boat that uh, I, I'm, I don't know if you've seen those rubber boats that uh, they use. Uh, uh, you get in and you paddle and you, you straddle the, the tube, the outer tube. Um, We had short guys and we had tall guys. Now, this kind of goes to answer your question. Everybody needs to find their place where they're good at and be proud of that. Now, okay, Mike, what's that got to do with size? Well, we put the short guys in the front, the tall guys in the back. And the, so 
when we it was funny when we first it was one of those forehead slappers that you you know we first picked up the boat and it was a short guy here and a tall guy here and a uh, medium-sized guy here so one guy there was a foot between the his helmet and the boat and the, you start figuring out wait a minute we get into our role here and we can carry this boat equally and that's the way it is with life you find out you know what your role is and you be proud of what that is and you serve in that and uh for me it's been a life of service and that's why i can't stop now i'm you know on city council and i was ready to leave but then the lord again said you're not through and i feel like has called me into this new calling and um so um going back to the thing about uh, finding your place that's how we did that that boat crew is uh, illustration is a good good illustration now you can't I love this this thought, Will Rogers, and I know a few of you have heard of Will Rogers, but said you might be on the right track, but if you just sit there, you're going to get run over. <laughs> so you find your place, you find the right track, and then you move out. Because the only easy day was yesterday. <laughs> so. Well, I got good comments here libby says you don't sound like an old guy and i agree so. <laughs> well thank you <laughs> uh marilyn has a question yes i have to get on here you caught you caught me randy um, <laughs> well first of all mike i want to thank you for your service that is huge i'd like to know more about what you're doing now your nonprofit. And I would also like to get your comments. One of the things that I found when Kurt was talking about the diverse, you know, all of the, the problems now and, and the division, it seems like that from my experience that people live in silos and we don't really understand what's going on with other parts are people in other situations than we're, than we're in. And I'd just like for you to comment on that a little bit. Well, it goes back to uh, how you develop your life, how you, circumstances, I've always believed circumstances don't make or break us, they reveal us. And it's so, it's how we grow and how we, how we relate to other people. Life is about relationships. So it's how we relate to people. One of the best books I have ever read that uh, I just got through reading was Martin Luther King Jr.'s. Uh, Dr. King had the book uh, Strides Towards Freedom. And it was about the bus boycott uh, in, uh, in the 60s. And, you know, he talked about you know we're here for a purpose and it's relationships and uh, uh, instead of and yes there was a lot that they got caught up in and there was a lot of turmoil and a lot of division but his approach was uh, uh, peaceful resistance so peaceful of course, Martin Luther King Jr. would talk about that because he was a minister and he knew the gospel and he knew the love of the Lord. But uh, also resistance. There is action that you take with, with that. 
so are put together with that. So uh, I, I'd recommend that book. And it's uh, it's the way he lived his life was looking at other people. And, and so we've come back to one of the first points we've talked about is, you know, it's a relationship and how you relate to other people and your focus is people. And um, uh, and tell me your first question. I've forgotten that one. I'm sorry. That's okay. I wanted to know more about what you're doing now. Okay, that's what it was. Um, uh, Randy, is it okay to talk about the campaign? I, I didn't know what I'm allowed to. Yeah, sure. I mean, we don't get into politics much on here, but it's what you've been in. Uh, you've been in politics with the city council, and now you're trying to take that up a notch. I think so. Well, about that. <laughs> And that's where all of this has led to is that I'm on city council. My second tour of duty was city council, but I feel led just as much of a lead or calling as the, the ministry, but I feel led to run for a house of representatives and that will be coming up this year. And uh, I have a website that uh, kind of talks about and it shows um, the different stages in my life. Uh, www.thompsonforkansashouse.com. Now you got to put all that in or you'll get the weatherman, Mike Thompson. And uh, if you get a blue screen, that's the weatherman senator. <laughs> if you get a red screen, that's mine. <laughs> but um, it, it comes back to the idea of serving people. Uh, I, was, I was ready to go into my shop. I like to work on old cars. And so I was ready to go to my shop and lock the door behind me and work on my old cars. But again, just like leaving the Navy and, and Randy, you asked why I left the Navy, you know, the Lord, Lord's hands in that. And so the Lord said, no, don't lock that door. You're, you're going to go back out that door. You're going to go back out and serve people. And so that's what I'm doing right now is uh, running for office. I'm running a and that uh, uh, election will be this this fall, fall winter, and uh, we're looking forward to it. And it's exciting, and it's um, something I didn't think that uh, I could do. Uh, kind of a side note on that: um, I went to junior high and high school in Topeka. My dad was, like I said, with Santa Fe, and got transferred to Topeka. And uh, I'd drive by the Capitol building, and I'd think. Gosh, it'd be neat to be up there. I wonder what that's like, but I'm not smart enough to do that. And then the uh, Lord said, you just, it's not ability, it's availability. And so when you serve people, uh, and that's what, uh, you know, and, and so I said yes to that. Now, my wife kind of questioned me on that, I, I, but that's her role. And as we both came to see that that's where the Lord was leading us, that's how we uh, affirm that calling. And um, so um, that's what I'm doing now. And uh, it's exciting. And I, I'm going way into a, a zone that is that's not my comfort zone. But, you know, the Lord came alongside of me at other times in my life. And there's no reason why he's that God is not going to do that this time. And so I trust that. And that, see how everything kind of comes back around and connects to Kurt, like the things that you're saying. So when I look and see the world today, no, 
you know, stay back here and concentrate on what we need to concentrate on. And a lot of times it's helping people. It's relating to people, people hurting out there. So hook up with a swim buddy. And if you need to talk to a swim buddy, you need to talk with them. But that, that's part of the self-help. But then don't get caught up in the whirlwind of it. But just know there is a new tomorrow. There'll be a better day. So I think, Marilyn, if that, that answered, I hope answered your questions. You know, one of the things interesting about local politics, like when you're on the city council or the state level, like you are, you live amongst the folks you're serving, which is different than the Washington <laughs> level. And when you talk to folks, I've talked to Sly James about that, you know, like you go into a restaurant, people just run by the road in front of their house and paved, you know, so how much did these experiences prepare you for things like the city council and dealing with folks that what matters most to them is what matters most to them. And, and you have to learn how to help them. Well, it goes clear back to uh, the hospital setting, going into the military. Uh, you know, uh, my first job, uh, well, I, when I was married, was working in a full-service gas station. So it goes back to even that. It, you, you learn to, to look at the people. You, you concentrate on them, not yourself. And so um, I think that answered your question. I, a lot of great comments on here. Folks were really uh, inspired by your journey and you have done a, uh, I think you just built that muscle memory. So you talked about the muscle memory. I think just become automatic and serving others just became your muscle memory. And it does, and it has. And uh, so to serve now and at the state level, yes, it goes clear back and it's muscle memory. And I, and I remember now that's, that was your question about that's, that's the preparation. Life is your preparation. And there's always a takeaway that we can take away every day of our life and connect it with something. And I called it connecting the dots. Um, you know, oh, this happened back then. So this is what I should do now. So. Well, good job. Keep helping others. Keep serving others. Um, you may have another run back in the army still left in you. You never know. So I, will, <laughs> I still have my boots. <laughs> my, the uniform doesn't fit anymore, but. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> well, it was great to spend time with you, Mike. Good luck with everything you're doing. It was great to uh, see all of you today and uh, look forward to seeing you again next week. Well, thank you very much. And everybody, it's so nice to meet you. And it's very humbling to be uh, in this situation. And so thank you all. And uh, keep up the good work of what you're doing. And uh, don't sell yourself short. You are doing some great things. Awesome. Thank you. Well, Randy. thanks, Mike. Thank you. Mike, good to see you, Mike. Good luck. Everybody have a great weekend. God bless you. Take care. Bye now.